It's true, I promise I'm not mad at anyone. I'm actually so excited to be here. And if you're wondering, like, why in the world would this guy be here and have any sort of credibility to fill this pulpit today? Well, I'm going to toot my own horn just really quickly and let you know that I graduated from a very prestigious academic institution that taught Bible. And you may know it's fairly local. Um, It is called the Sunshine School. And so that's where I, I learned so much about what it means uh, to know and understand the Word of God here at this very place. When I was in uh, pre-K, I spent many years here. I love uh, Sunshine School. I love Kaufman Church of Christ. We are so glad um, to be able to partner with y'all. It's been just a, a neat, neat experience for us. Uh, we are grateful for the love that you have shown us as a church body uh, our church body has, has really grown through the process of, of learning what it means to, to grow in closeness to other bodies of Christ, other local churches. Uh, my friendship with, with Doug has just been extremely rich for me, um, extremely um, helpful. Uh, the things that he has taught me and the, the lessons that I've learned um, as, as we get together every year to work through Advent and then as we get together other times to, to work through things and plan and just kind of bounce things off of each other. But this Advent season especially is just a really, really special time and it's so good to be a part of that with y'all. So I don't take it lightly that you have invited me here to speak today. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. It's, it's just a neat, neat, neat thing for me. A special privilege, a special honor. So thank you. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning, if you have your Bible. I will be preaching from the English Standard Version, but it's not too far off from, I think, what you have there, the NIV. Also put a finger in Jeremiah chapter 8. We'll look there, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to kind of be all over running the span of Scripture today, continuing our walk through the the ancient hymn, O Come Emmanuel. But Proverbs chapter 3, read with me verses 1 through 8. The proverb author writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The word of the Lord. We've been walking through O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, a special kind of look at this ancient, ancient hymn. And the thing that we've been trying to do is, is ask, how did this hymn express a sense of longing? For, for Israel, for Messiah. What were they saying? What were they longing for? What great need did they have for him to appear? And we sang together already, O come thou wisdom from on high, in order all things far and nigh, to us the path of knowledge show and cause us in our ways to go. That's our stanza that we're looking at today. And both wisdom and knowledge appear in that stanza. And it seems like the hymn writer was kind of using those two things interchangeably. Maybe, maybe not, but people often make a distinction between wisdom and knowledge. Someone has, has said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. That's the difference. And I agree with that. I don't want my a tomato anywhere near anything I have. But all kidding aside, knowing what to do in any given circumstance or situation and then actually doing it, that can be really hard. 
especially as believers in a God who has a certain standard, who himself claims to be the basis for truth. We live with this sense of knowing, yeah, there's right and there is wrong. Even if no one else around us thinks that, we know it to be true as those who believe in this Lord, this God. And as Christians, we also, from God, are given a desire to choose to do what's right. There's a couple of problems, though, that we have. The first one is this, that the lines of right and wrong are often blurred, okay? Maybe by our culture that often says, hey, whatever you choose is right, or perhaps whatever makes you happy, that, that is what is right, or maybe even by people that you're close to, where you thought you're like, I, I, I thought I knew what the right thing to do was, but Man, if that guy over there is doing that thing that I thought was wrong, maybe it's actually right. It can be difficult sometimes to know what is right. You might know the facts about tomatoes, okay? But do you actually know what to do with them when someone gives you a basketful? Please don't give me a basketful. I hate tomatoes. Appreciate the gesture. Do you ever face anxiety about making the right decision? I do. Are you ever afraid that you might mess things up based on the course of action that you're trying to figure out which way to go? I do. I have a, I have a friend who, I, I don't know much about Enneagram, but I have a friend who recently um, went through that and kind of learned what, what number his would kind of point to, and he, he read the description of what his personality was, and he read it, and he just started weeping it described him so well. And the basic thing that it told him was, you have a fear of messing things up. You have an anxiety over choosing the wrong option and just completely obliterating what was supposed to be and supposed to happen. He's kind of crippled by that. He's paralyzed by that sense of feeling, that that fear. And I think Christians are especially prone to this because really we want to do what's right. We want to choose wisely. And it it can be tough sometimes to actually know what's wise. Because the Bible does not lay out every answer to every quandary that we have. As Christians, we have a desire to choose what's right. But problem number one, the lines of right and wrong, they're often kind of blurred. And problem number two, doing what's right is a lot more difficult than doing what's wrong in general. It can be very hard to continue in faithfulness to God. It can be extremely wearying to continue in faithfulness to God. That's kind of what this Advent longing is about. And so we're not always up to the task of persevering in in righteousness and goodness. We have a need to know what's right. We have a need to be able to do it and a need to persevere in it. That's That's a tall task. To both possess wisdom and to walk in the path of of knowledge As the song goes, we want to have good judgment, that is wisdom, and we want to do righteously, that is to walk the path of knowledge. And God has always told his people what is right. He always has, every step of the way, and he still does. But that doesn't always mean they've understood it or we've understood it. It doesn't always mean his people have done it. I coach elementary age girls in basketball, and so I can understand this very thing. I'm imparting as much of the path of knowledge 
to those girls as I can. Hey, here's how to do it right. Here's how to rebound correctly. Here's how to pass right and well. That's fine. They, I'm imparting that to them. Doesn't mean they've always understood it. They're just glazed eyes. Certainly doesn't mean they've always done it. We know that as soon as we get into a game. It's as if we've never practiced before. God consistently told Israel what was right. But they didn't always do it. The path of knowledge was always shown to them, but they never, never seemed to walk down it, at least not for very long. It's like when you're, you're, you take your family hiking, you're like, this is going to be awesome, and you've got this path that you're, you're about to walk down, and you've got that, that one kid in your family who's, who's just, oh, just, no, I can't go any further. And you look at your kid, and you say, we haven't even got to the trailhead yet. I haven't even started the hike. They never seemed to walk down it for very long. Israel needed someone to put them on the path of righteousness. And more than that, they actually really needed someone to pick them up like that kid and carry them along that path is what they needed. And honestly, so do you and I. So let's think a little bit about Israel in history. God consistently told Israel what was right, but they rarely did it. Think of a few examples. Adam and Eve in the garden pretty, pretty much comes to, to mind quickly. Now that was, of course, pre-nation of Israel, but still very much the people of God in God's place, his kingdom, right? God laid out for Adam and Eve what was right. He laid out the path of knowledge. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die, right? That was it. That was the path of knowledge. God had, as the hymn says, ordered all things in that garden for them. Wisdom was as simple for Adam and Eve as just walking down that path. That is the path of knowledge. Adam and Eve had one job. Don't eat that one fruit. Enjoy everything else fail. Another example, Israel's headed into the promised land, right? They've got this promise God has laid out for them, this amazing place flowing with milk and honey. He lays out where to go. He lays out for them what to do. It's the path of knowledge, Exodus 33, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from there, you and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I'll give it. He even said, I will send an angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up, Israel, to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's it. That was the path of knowledge. It's laid out. God had ordered all things for them. Wisdom, then, was as simple as just walking down that path. There's even an angel right before him. Israel also had one job. Go into the promised land. Just, just walk into it. They failed that one when the spies said, uh. Another example is the giving of the Mosaic law, right? The entire just dispensation of the law. God laid out what was right, the path of knowledge. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them. That's it. Just, just do them in the land that you're going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord, your God, you and your son, your son's sons. How? I'll show you. I'll tell you. Just by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you, Moses said to them, all the days of your life, 
and your days will be long. That was it. That was the path of knowledge. God, at this point, is just saying, hey, let me just try to make this as kind of dumbed down and simple as I can, Israel. Wisdom is just, is just walking this path. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to be real specific about what that path looks like. And he was. God had ordered all things for them. Israel had one job. Keep these commandments. Fail. Again and again. Another example would be the prophets that God gives the people. When they aren't obeying that law, he sends prophets, right? And they preach and they preach and he preach. Through them, God lays out what is right. What do they do to the prophets? They stone them. They kill them. Like, we don't want to hear that. We don't want that path. God consistently told Israel what, what is right, but they rarely did it. Why? That's what I want to know. What was the problem? I think it was that they did not embody Proverbs chapter 3, especially verses 5 and 6 that we know so well, that I probably memorized in that fellowship hall right over there, or that, that gym. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. What was Israel's problem? It was that they trusted in themselves and their ability to know and choose what is right. Adam and Eve are in the garden. The path is laid out. What did they lean on? What understanding? Their own. Eve's like, you know, that serpent had a pretty good point. That's a, that's a decent path. Maybe I'll walk that one. Israel spies at the land. They have the path. It's laid out for them. What do they lean on? Their own understanding. Ah, oh, you know what? We're pretty sure we can't beat those giants in that land. Guys, let's, let's take it back. Israel has the law. It's laid out. This is the understanding of God. Do they lean on it? No, their own. And then come the prophets. And of course, they're just message after message, repent and turn to the Lord. No, they lean on their own understanding. We'll take, we'll take some cues from maybe the other nations around us. Maybe they've got the path that we need to walk. Israel's understanding of their circumstances and choices, their understanding of those things was finite. And it was often very mistaken. The problem was they just wouldn't admit it. What caused Israel to so trust in themselves with all their hearts? It was that their minds were hardened. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 compares that to a veil being over their eyes. It's that God had not given them a heart to understand, to truly understand yet. Deuteronomy chapter 29, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Israel, you've seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants, to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. And listen to the last phrase. You've seen it all. You've seen the whole path. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. God had placed Israel in kind of a, a deep sleep such that they were unable to read and unable to hear his truth. They, he had not awakened them to it. That's how Isaiah 29 puts it. 
The Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like words in a book that is sealed. So it's like it's in there. The path is in there, but it's all sealed up. He says, when men give it to one who can read, saying, read this in your nation, he says, he says, I, I cannot because it's sealed. I can't even open it. And when they give to the book to one who cannot read, maybe it's open, there's the path. But he says, I cannot read. That was the nation. And there, look at the path of knowledge. God consistently told Israel what was right, but they rarely, rarely did it. Why? Because they trusted in themselves and their ability to know and choose what was right. Like, ah, can't open this book, so I'm just going to toss it aside and figure out which way to go myself. And yet at the same time, don't we know of this thread of the grace of God working through all of these things that even though Israel did not walk the path, but they trusted in themselves and their own ability, yet at the same time, God was always, always, always providing a way for them. Remember Eden there's Adam and Eve. We just established they leaned on their own understanding. And God says, okay, you did that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill an animal on your behalf. And I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to let you stay in relationship with me. In the promised land, the spies get there. They lean on their own understanding. They stay away from the land. And God says, you lean on your understanding. Okay, you're going to wander for a while. But you know what I'm going to do? I will lead you with a pillar of fire. Pillar of cloud. With the law, God looks at his people and they just over and over and over choose to lean on their own understanding, just get away from the law. And God says, I'll prescribe for you sacrifices to make atonement so that you can still remain in relationship with me. All of those things were just whispers, whispers of a greater provision that was to come. But what about the prophets? And this is where it seems to me like the end of God making a way, providing for his people. Because turn to Jeremiah chapter 8. I'll show you what I mean. Jeremiah, one of those prophets, was, was just exclaiming how the people were claiming to be wise. And just wondering, what, was, what were they doing? Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8. God says, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. That's, that should be air quotes around wise there. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? How did it show that they weren't wise? Jeremiah proves it, says it straight up. They were not wise. How did it show though? How can we look at the prophets and what were they saying? Why, why weren't they not wise? Turn back one page to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23. Kind of sandwiches around this idea of wisdom. Verse 23, but this command I gave them, God says, obey my voice and I'll be your God and you'll sh you shall be my people and walk in the way that I commanded you that it may be well with you. Verse 24, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels 
in the stubbornness of their own evil hearts and went backward, not forward. That's how it showed their lack of wisdom was walking the wrong direction. Turn over now two pages to Jeremiah chapter 9. Here's the other side of that sandwich, that we're not wise sandwich. Why? How did it show? Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 12. Who is the man so wise that he can understand this? To whom has the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? And the Lord says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts. See, God had always been providing a way for Israel, even when they trusted in themselves and had failed to do what was right. But now, at the end of Old Testament history, we get into the prophets, it's the end of Old Testament history, and there doesn't seem to be much of an immediate answer for this. Where is the way? Is God, is God, is he stopping, is he ceasing providing the way that he had provided the animal in the, in the garden, the pillar of fire and cloud in the, in the wilderness? The atoning sacrifices around the law. Where, where now? What now? And so we get to the, the time of Jesus, and it's been hundreds and hundreds of years with no answer. And so Israel now is like, what do we do? They're unsure of what to do. They, they are unsure of where to go. Where is the path of knowledge, right? We've not been wakened from a deep sleep yet by God. He's not showing us the way. They were thinking, just quiet. Prophets have stopped speaking. It's just a time of waiting. It's just a time of silence. As if all the centuries of their history with God showing them the path had just hit the brakes. Israel needed someone to make their walking in righteousness possible. They need someone to make it possible. They needed who did they need? They needed the shepherd of Psalm 23, right? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. They needed the one who Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 11, the, the root of Jesse, who Isaiah 11 says would judge with righteousness. It says the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of what? Wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. They needed the promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. They won't do that anymore. Why? For they shall all know me. It's going to happen. They will know me, God says. They won't need the teaching anymore. It's going to be right there. They will know the path of righteousness. Why? Because they'll be trusting in me, leaning in me. How would that happen, though? had to be Messiah, could only be Messiah that would make a way for 
this. It would have to be wisdom from on high. They were waiting. Oh, come wisdom. Come wisdom. Please come. In church, God tells us what's right. Tells us. And yet, we never could do it apart from Jesus. Never. We see it, first of all, in salvation, right? God lays out the path to himself, relationship with himself. And as a, as a people, as humanity, we did not take that path. God revealed himself, Romans 1 says, in all that he created. His invisible attributes were there. It shows up. And yet, we as a people rejected that way to him, and we tried to look for our own way. We traded it, Romans 1 says, with our own understanding. And this is where the incarnation enters, right? That Jesus took on flesh, the same flesh that we have. And he walked the path of knowledge on our behalf that we could never walk. The path that we could not do. The path to the Lord God. Jesus did in his humanity what we fail to do. You come and you see how Jesus represents us all in what he's come to do, right? He, in his flesh, is baptized. He needs no baptism, but to show that he represents us in our need for it, right? Jesus goes into the wilderness and does what Israel could not do, resisting every temptation in the wilderness. Jesus begins to take that law that God had given his people and obey it in every single instance there was, even changing it in such a way that he could do everything perfectly. He healed a person on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath submitted to him, not him to the Sabbath. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Friends, Jesus is wisdom itself, which is seen, the author says, Paul says, in his redemption of us. That is seen in our salvation. Colossians 1.20 says that Jesus is the mystery hidden from ages, but now revealed to us. He's revealed. He's from on high. It's wisdom from on high. Sent to walk the path of knowledge to God that we could not. To die and be raised that we might then walk to God. How? By faith. Rejoice, rejoice, for wisdom has come. And we are saved from our inability to reach God. God tells us what's right, yet we could not do it apart from Jesus. Second, we couldn't do it in holiness either. We couldn't. You could not choose to do what is right consistently in your life without Christ. Could not do it. But by faith in Jesus, this is the encouragement, you can obey God. You can, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, life. 
at any given time. Number one, you don't have to be anxious, fearing that you'll never know the best course of action to take. You don't have to be. Set your mind at ease, friends. Take the pressure off of perfection for yourself as one who knows the Lord. And then also know that you can, as a believer in Jesus, persevere in doing good. Even though good is more wearying, doing it than doing bad is, it is. Be assured that God is saying that you will endure in his grace in this because of Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, this is possible because Jesus is wisdom itself, which is seen also, he says, in our righteousness and our sanctification. And so united to Jesus Christ by faith, that is, trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, you both possess righteousness before God and you do righteously for God, empowered by his Spirit. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, Colossians 2.1. And so your assurance also is hidden in Christ, that you have the ability to know and to do what is right. Jeremiah 31, what the people were waiting on, what the people were asking for, one great benefit of Christ's first advent, his first coming to this place was who? The spirit he left behind who does in us what we could never accomplish ourselves. Just like the provision that he made for Israel over, over and over and over and over again, he makes it for us by his spirit. Because left to ourselves, trying to figure out what wisdom is, we would just, we would just imagine it. We'd just be, okay, let me think. What is the wisest thing? To, it's like imagining what's going to be for dinner and having no idea. I'll just imagine it. Left to ourselves, that's who we would be. But with Christ, God orders things in us so that now we can embody Proverbs chapter 3. That, that phrase that you learn when you're little, that, that, those verses, where he will make your path straight, right? Making your, your path straight doesn't just mean to make them smooth, like make it nice and easy for you to walk around as if life is going to get great once you figure out how to lean on your own understanding. It's not just that. It's probably some of that, but also it probably means what happens when you begin to lean on God's understanding is that he will straighten out your way of walking. He will begin to make you walk straight, meaning he will cause you to be more closely aligned to his way, to his path. He's, he will set you on a path of moral straightness. Jesus is wisdom for those who are called by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. In a world where right and wrong seem very hard to decipher. In a world where it's sometimes very hard to persevere in what is right. Jesus is wisdom from on high for you. So rejoice, church. For wisdom has come, and he enables you to choose wisely. God's ways. And yet we know, and Advent reminds us, that we don't always get this right. You and I still, united to Christ, still often choose what's wrong. We choose the wrong path so often. 
We choose a different knowledge. We choose our own understanding of circumstances. And yet those choices that we make are finite and we are often mistaken. And so we recognize in this season of waiting that we need to be completely freed, completely freed from the sin that continues to kind of misdirect us. We need Jesus to return. We need a second advent of wisdom. We need Jesus to order all things far and wide. And one day he will. One day he will. But for now we sing, oh, come wisdom. Come thou wisdom. Come from on high as we wait. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, you are so wise. And we are so not. Thank you, oh, God, for sending Jesus to be wisdom for us. Thank you, O God, for drawing us to yourselves so that you unite us to Christ by faith. You cause us to walk in those ways, as the hymn says, the ways that we should go. You've done that for us, and so we rejoice that wisdom has come, and yet at the same time, Lord, we're left with a longing, Father, to to do what's right every time because we don't. God, yet we know one day we will. And we say, come wisdom, come again. Set us on the path that we will never veer off of by your goodness and grace in eternity. In Christ's name we pray.